0: Welcome to Sebastopol City Limits, a podcast. We'll be talking to folks inside and outside the Sebastopol city limits about local government, education, and culture. I'm Dale Doherty with the Sebastopol Times. Today, I am joined by author Alan K. Murakami who has written a book subtitled, The Uncle I Never Knew. It's a memoir, almost a family memoir. It's titled uh, Peter Asuoka, which is the name of his uncle. First of all, welcome. Nice to have
1: you here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And give me a little bit about yourself. I grew up in West Sonoma County, and I'm the third generation of Masuoka Murakami. And I went to the local schools here, El Molino, which... My parents and Pete, they went to Anley as well as my son. So I guess I was the black sheep. After going to school and Davis, I came back to Sonoma County to be near my folks. So I've been lucky to both grew up in this area, work in this area, and to be able to write a book in this area.
0: How did your family come to locate itself in this area, in the
1: outskirts of Sebastopol? Let's see. My... My grandfather, Pete's dad, Harry Masuoka, came over from Japan. He was born in Okiyama. And he came over in, I think, 1906 to San Francisco. And so he (laughs) experienced the great earthquake then. So Uh that was kind of a welcome thing for him. And, And he heard good things about the agricultural possibilities here in Sonoma County. And he predominantly lived in Sebastopol. Not unlike Italian immigrants.
0: Coming to Sonoma County, they were Japanese immigrants, and but they end up really, in a sense, starting at an apple orchard, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah, starting growing apples, and at that time, it was really big to pick the apples and dry them. And there were some very famous apple dryers, I believe the Barlow mm-hmm. we have downtown. That was a family that did a lot of apple drying. My folks, they used to go pick apples and help dry them, pack them. And it was quite a big industry. Why did you decide to write this book about your uncle? When COVID hit, I found myself during the shelter in place thinking, I got some time on my hands. Why don't I pull out this old shoebox that I had stuck notes from family get-togethers, like reunions and weddings? And when people would talk about Pete, I would jot it down on a napkin or the program. I just saved him. I don't know. I guess I felt like I was a family historian to some degree. I said, I know about my other uncle because I met them, but I don't know a great deal about Pete. I've heard stories, right? But I really wanted to get to know the individual. So I sat down and started to write. This was about three years ago. It's been a profound journey doing this, full of these encounters that have really touched my soul. No. In general, the story kind of told itself, which was very, very comforting and very rewarding.
0: To get into that story a little bit, Peter has what I might consider an ordinary life of growing up
1: here in Sebastopol. It was hard writing this because there wasn't a lot of information about Pete. And so I really had to try to gather information from those that are still around that I could talk to, like my mom, his sister. I knew that he was born in Sonoma. And uh, this was back in the 1920s and he went to the local schools and the family lived just off a Hurlbut. So it was close to Anley and I can imagine him walking to school. I learned that he was a very good athlete as well as he was successful in academics. He was the first Japanese American to receive the American Legion award as a senior. That was quite an honor. And the athletics was interesting because I was able to learn from my mom and also my aunt, Ginger Pete was a a left-handed individual. And at the time in public education, everyone was taught to write right-handed. So that's why my mom says, that's why Pete's handwriting is so illegible. I think he was a very humble person. I don't think if he was around today, he would talk about his achievements. he went to the JC and uh, played football and tried rugby there. Uh, one of those profound moments was when I was helping my mom declutter one of her back rooms. I saw on the back this these two old scrapbooks, and this person by the name of Jack Acorn had made them, and they were full of the SRJC, the Junior College football team records and pictures of the players. And there was a picture of Pete. <laughs> Mom, how'd you get this? <laughs> she went, I don't know. <laughs> I learned that he continued to play on the gridiron there and did fairly well. And as an aside, I, I looked up Jack Acorn on the internet thinking, gee, it'd be great to get these back to the Acorn family. And I was able to, this was really profound. I was able to get in touch with his son, Michael. And he lived in Petaluma as his dad. We had a nice chat. And with his permission, I donated those books, the scrapbooks, to the Junior College Historical Society.
0: No, that's great. You know, your family was also in
1: members of the Amanji Temple in Sebastian. Yeah, yeah. There were ties to the Buddhist church there, though a lot of the Japanese Americans were Buddhists. Our family gravitated more to Christianity. In fact, in the camp, internment okay. camp, that's where my mom really became convinced that Christianity was a, her calling. And that's a really good question. I don't know what Pete would say.
0: I was fascinated the couple that origins were at of, from a world's fair
1: in San Francisco. Yeah. The local community people, they heard about this building and they basically made a plea can we please buy this and have it shipped out to sebastopol and then it was resurrected
0: (laughs) you mentioned
1: it already world war ii happens and this is part of
0: where the ordinary life that peter had becomes extraordinary and really your whole family is deeply affected by this
1: my parents the Masawokas, they lived in sebastopol and right after The attack at Pearl Harbor, the president of the United States signed executive order to have all Japanese Americans on the West coast to be, um, basically rounded up and put into internment camps. And some people call them prison camps. Some people call them concentration camps. And I like to make a distinction that the word concentration camps, and I believe they were, is very different to what happened in Germany and concentration camps there, uh, that said my parents were told you have to move you have to go and what's amazing about it is how fast this happened many japanese americans were given maybe a week maybe two to sell everything to close their businesses they didn't know where to go <laughs> that's just amazing um so they basically could take only what they could carry like a small suitcase And uh, I asked myself, I mean, what do you pack? You don't know where you're going. So you don't know if you're going to bring clothes for snow, the desert. So do you bring your books? You just basically bring your bare essentials. Folks here in Sonoma County, they were told in order to attend to the Santa Rosa railroad station, the depot there. And so they got there, and a funny little story is that mom's good friend, Barbara Bertoli, and they're still close. Barbara's mom, I think she worked or was associated with some sort of a Red Cross agency. So my mom always remembered this. When the Mossokas got to the train station, she saw Barbara's mom, and she had sandwiches for people. Many places in the West Coast, emotions were very high, right? And... In many places where the Japanese American community, there was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of hatred, anger. There was violence. Here in Sonoma County in general, the people treated the Japanese Americans, I think, with really a kind heart. Um, For example, they would help some of the Japanese Americans take care of their things while they were gone pay their property taxes so they wouldn't lose their property so it really speaks well to the folks here in sonoma county right
0: you describe us in but first generation and second generation japanese was it your grandparents were first generation is that uh, right? yes, e- yes. Is. and nisei are second generation is that right that's right and the point of that is you were american citizens it's really it's, it's sad that they uh, did not recognize your status as citizens and your That's rights as citizens.
1: Exactly true. In fact, my dad, Jim Murakami, he, in the book, I, I talked a little bit about some of his pretty traumatic experiences he had when he was going to Anley and about racial injustices. After the war, he became an advocate for civil rights, specifically the Japanese American civil rights. He first became a president of the local Japanese American Citizens League. And then he climbed the rank, culminating in being president of the National Japanese American Citizens League. And he was a very humble person. He probably would give me the eye if I was if he was here and heard me talking about him. Proud to say that he, along with many others, were instrumental in get reparations redress passed through the US Congress for Japanese Americans and who were unjustly put into camps. How long was that period? Yeah, they were in camp at 42. And again, they didn't know where they were going to go. They first went to assembly centers. The Sonoma County Bunch were directed to the Merced Assembly Center, where they stayed for a couple of months, I want to say. Because the U.S. Army and the U.S. government, they said, okay, you folks have to move, but they didn't have really a great plan out what to do. So they were still building the camps. Um, So after the camps were basically almost completed, then they were shipped by train from Merced and to Colorado.
0: You mentioned in the book kind of different weather each time. It was warmer in Merced than it was Sonoma County. And then it was colder in Colorado than it was
1: in Sonoma County. That's so true. I have a great picture in the book. It's one of my favorite ones of my mom and her parents in Colorado. And I think it was like a photo op because they did, they weren't allowed to have cameras in camp. So I'm not sure how this came to be, but different families stood in front of this huge snowman. It must be about 12, 14 feet tall. And in it, my mom's dressed in a dress and it just signifies that's all she packed was this dress to be in the Colorado snow. Later after Things got settled down in camp. They had rhythms. They were finally able to order clothing from like Montgomery Wards, I think it was, or Sears. And they finally were able to get boots and woolies and that sort of thing.
0: Peter is at the JC. We were last talking about him here. He goes with the family to the
1: internment camp. Is that correct? Yes, he does. But then he enlists in the army. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, he enlisted in the army when in camp, which I can't imagine. Here you are in this place. You know, you're told by your government with the connotation that you're disloyal. We don't trust you. And then the army, knowing they need more young men to fight in Europe, and Japan, comes to you and says, will you join us? So Pete did. I asked my mom this. I said, well, were there any misgivings that Pete had? And she said, no unequivocally no. She said her father, Harry, all of the brothers wanted to prove they were loyal Americans. And so Pete enlisted.
0: That was about 1943? Yes. Well, what happens to him from that point on?
1: He enters the army and he goes to Camp Shelby in Mississippi, where he does his basic training. He's there for well, maybe a a little over a year. Here's where I don't have a lot of records. And so what I'm able to ascertain is he was trained to be in headquarters company, which was, I think, doing things like clerical, but also they had some artillery training. And I believe that's what Pete was ultimately assigned to as artillery unit. And... While there, he had opportunities to go visit other places on, when he was on leave. He actually was able to come back to Amachi. He had one leave to go there. And I don't mention this in the book. I have a picture of him in camp with his uniform. And he's turned away, but he's smiling. And he's holding a flag. And his mom's in the picture. And what my mom tells me is that this was a propaganda photo taken by Paramount showing that the camp was well. Wonderful, it was happy, and so that was a little aside. Then after BASIC, then he was assigned to the very famous 442nd Regimental Combat Team, which was made up, it was a segregated unit, except for the officers who were cooking. So he was with that very famous unit, which was the most highly decorated unit ever in military history for its size. They had that many casualties and awards and such. He and his brother were both in the 442. Mm. And eventually Pete shipped out to go to Italy. And that's where the 442 met up with the 100th Battalion, which was from Hawaii. And Pete fought in the campaigns in Italy first. I saw a battle there. And then after that, then they were ordered to go into France. I'd France, I see, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um and there I can't even imagine because many of the the Nisei did not talk about the horrors of war, what they experienced, but it was very horrific. I just can't even imagine what they went through. Um when Pete was over in France, there were these huge battles that they were fighting the Germans, and the Germans had been there for I think over a couple of years, and so they were entrenched. They knew where to be in order to inflict the most casualties so the u.s army had many tough battles to move toward germany and hitler was very adamant he says, you folks have to stop these armies or if they cross this one mountain range then we will lose the war so they were very motivated to stop the army advances as the days went by The 442 was making progress along with the hundreds. Then there was this one battle that I think is very important, and it was called the Rescue of the Lost Battalion. Yes. What it involved was there was this one U.S. group that was cut off from friendly lines, and they were surrounded by the Germans. And the U.S. Army sent different rescue groups over and over again. They couldn't get through the Texans were just being cut off and it did not look good. So finally, they ordered the 442. we got to send these guys in. They seemed to be able to get it done. I'm not saying that the other units didn't, but two had had successes. And so they advanced over and over again. And finally, they were able to rescue this lost battalion. But side note is that I mentioned the Barlow family. Tom Barlow went to Anley. And this is in the book. I'm not sure how Tom got assigned to this Texas battalion. He was one of those that was in that group that was rescued. And I can only wonder, I wish I could ask Pete, did you able to see Tom? What a moment, right? The 442 experienced so many casualties during that mission. This was in November, I believe, at 44. Pete survived that horrific battle. Then this one day, he was assigned to a mission, but he did that mission in the morning, came back, and he was tired. All these guys were just exhausted. I guess one of the leaders said, okay, we need another group to go out and get some of the wounded. Len's Murakami, I guess, was supposed to go, and he said, I don't feel well. And I might make note, his last name is Murakami. No relation. And being the volunteer that he is or was, he says, we'll go i have a picture of that day where he is I mean, standing next to a g with lens murakami communist under individual and on the back of it says november 3rd and i'll get back to that important piece and so pete raises hand volunteers goes out to rescue these soldiers and as he's doing that a mortar round comes down and pete orders his men to go to the left and he dives to the right and he's killed by this mortar round. Uh, so on the back of that photograph, I asked my mom, this was taken the day that Pete died. So after he was killed, his buddies back at the camp were told they went out and said, we're not leaving Pete behind. We're going to go and get his body. They took a vehicle and got Pete him back. He was originally buried in, in France? Yes, he was. In Epinal, France was where he was first laid. And then after the war, the U.S. Army asked his mom, would you like him to stay there or we can bring Pete home? And she elected to have him come back to California, and he's currently at the Golden Gate Cemetery in San Bruno. Every Memorial Day, we go and see Pete, we take flowers. that's
0: how your book opens. It was an annual ritual for your family to go down there on Memorial
1: Day, wasn't it? Yes, we do it. We've been doing it since I can remember. So you grew up wondering who he was? Yes, I always heard bits and pieces, but I didn't know who was this individual. I ascertained that he was a quiet individual modest out of all the Masaoka boys, he was the only one in Boy Scouts was a revelation to me. He liked to go on dates and, and he was engaged. What was another very profound experience when writing this and being on this journey of writing was I met his fiance and her, her name was Holly. This person named Marsha Onomia Evans contacted me out of the blue and said, hi, I'm holly's niece she said holly passed this is like march of 2022 and i have some possessions that i think you the masawokas would like to have so we met and Marsha hands over this trinket it's this little gold locket and when you open it it has a picture of pete and a picture of holly inside and uh It was just so amazing because even though they were engaged to be married in camp, they decided to break off the engagement. And I tried to ascertain, why was that? And I learned from my mom that Pete had asked his dad, Harry, I'm thinking of marrying Holly. My grandpa says, Pete, you might want to consider that because, you know, you're going off to war and if something happens, she's going to be a widow. So he says, you're right. I think maybe we should wait. I asked Marsha, what was Holly's thinking? And Marsha shared with me that Holly was a very private person, very quiet. Didn't say a lot, but what she gathered was that Holly thought I'm really the person that's taking care of my parents, her parents. And so I don't think I can commit to married life right now. So after they broke it off and Pete died, Holly, she never married. That just is, I think, so much signifies that she loved Pete so much. And so she never committed to another relationship. She still kept those mementos, too. They meet at the camp? Good question. They met at, I think he was in Anley, and she was going to another high school. So they met before Pearl Harbor. So they had a relationship and dated. And then they were both in camp, both families were at Amachi.
0: And were people in camp until the end of the war? Yes.
1: They were there until the end of the war. And then after the war, the Japanese and Japanese Americans were told, okay, you can go home. (laughs) And so they go, okay. I think they were given like 20, 25 dollars each or something like that. So you, okay, I'm here for a year or two. Now I go home. What does that look like? Some people didn't have homes to go to because they lost them again here in Sonoma County many were able to return and they had their farms and businesses to return to. they had to start over to some degree interesting aside is my my grandfather Harry he had some close connections to many of the Caucasian families here in Sebastopol he was invited to come before a lot of the folks and he ran a hostel and when the families came back over he would well, help those families to have a place to stay while they got their things in order. Feelings, again, were running pretty high, even after the war. And one family, the Maritans, when they came back, I think a couple days after, someone had fired gunshots toward their house. And I believe Mr. Marita contacted my grandfather and says, what do I do? And Harry says, go to the chief of police in Sebastopol. And so I think they didn't have a car yet. So they had to walk into town, and the chief was very helpful and supportive. So it wasn't an easy go, but I think it was easier than other communities in California.
0: Alan, would you read us a segment from your book?
1: Sure. It was hard for me to choose what to read. So I just thought about chapter five, where he's spending time at Anley and at the junior college. So here's a piece. Um, my Aunt Ginger shared that when she was beginning to date her future husband, Pete's brother, Frank, that Frank once said something to her that was mesmerizing and profound. He said with a tear in his eye, no one can come up to be an equal to Pete Masaoka. He's the greatest football player I've ever seen. Margaret added, well, he was a good athlete and a pretty not bad quarterback. And during those games at Anley, the high school radio announcer would sometimes describe Pete's great plays by saying, and that Pete Mazuka threw a great pass. The next day, Mom and Anley would get teased at school when friends would smile and say, Margie, who is this Pete Mazuka?"
0: Good. Thank you, Alan, for telling us about Peter Masiwoko.
1: You're welcome, Dale. Thank you.